you when you patch up the boat by having a strategy for um, hedging against inflation, and then you execute, you get further ahead yeah. from a wealth perspective. It pushes you forward. That's it right. Does. And the reason to be further ahead is not so you can you can subtle flex, but it's actually so you have more security, more mental freedom, more peace of mind. Right. And so what we're all actually seeking is that freedom. We're all seeking the ability to do what we want, when we want, with whoever we want. And oftentimes the tool to do that is money. Welcome to the Disruptance Podcast. Here are your hosts, Eric Forney and Michael Bounds. Mike, every week on the show, we aim to disrupt the way real estate agents and entrepreneurs think about their life and business. And this week, I want to disrupt the way you think about the current market. And by that, I mean, well, everything. And so the question I have for you is, are we in an everything bubble right now? And is this thing going to pop and crash quickly? Well, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer this because I'll, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you an answer. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that where we are is where we're supposed to be. I feel like for a while there, our prices kind of went up really slow, and I feel like this is kind of where we're supposed to be. Um, we have a – well, we can get all into that. So what do you yeah. think? What's your thought about that? Yeah, you know what? I'm with you. I, I think that um, when we when we look at the trending data, interestingly enough, um, searches for housing market collapse 2021 are up 2,400% in the last uh, 12 months. And so the world wants to know if we're um, on the precipice of a housing market collapse. And because real estate is what we know and do, um, operating real estate businesses and operating businesses in general, I think it makes sense for us to start there and look at uh, you know, I know this is a conversation that we've talked about. The reality, though, is just based on the way that um, the the data from Google, people want to know is what is the value of their net worth and the value of real estate going to look like? And so when we dive into that, I'm 100 percent in alignment with you, Mike, when we say, no, the real estate market is not in a bubble. And no, we are not going to have that bubble burst quickly um, or anytime soon when it comes to the real estate market itself. And so. Uh, there are there are so many other factors at play um, that that are influencing the real estate market uh, that make me have all the confidence in the world right now that we are not in an everything bubble or in a real estate bubble, especially. Yeah. Um, if you look over the last 10 years, we have built less homes in the last 10 years. Uh, I can. 12-ish, we had a huge builder here in Indianapolis that would bang out, I don't know, 28, 3,200 homes per year, that one builder. A couple years ago, our combined builders were doing about that. We're doing more than that now. But for 10 years, that builder was out of business. And that builder was, was providing inventory. The problem that we have now with past bubbles we didn't have an inventory shortage problem. Right now, the problem is there's not enough houses and there's more people out there looking for houses. So unless you fix that, I don't really know how there would be a bubble to pop. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. The only thing then that I look at and say, the only reason that a real estate bubble pops is because there's an everything bubble, right? We actually see the economic collapse 
that we expected to see um, in April of 2020. My, based on all the data that I'm looking at on a regular basis, um, there is, there's no reason to believe that real estate starts the next uh, global recession the way it did in 2008 because of precisely what you said, Mike, which is a, a significant shortage of inventory. Uh, in fact, you know, when I was um, looking at investing into real estate and really starting to learn more about buy and hold investing, um, I, what I was looking at was where do I, where do I see the, the migration pattern? Where, where do I see the migration pattern of um, the population growth into population needs? And is there housing that accommodates the, the highest level of demand today and in the future? And when I really went down this rabbit hole, what I realized was that um, single level, single family homes, so one story single family homes would be in the biggest demand um, in, the, in you know, the late uh, to, to mid teens of the of 2000s and then um, you know arguably for the next 20 to 30 years we may see a significant shortage in uh, one level homes um, because because of the the population um, dynamics that we're looking at which is uh, boomers and uh, millennials and soon to be gen Z all converging for the same uh, the same inventory which is affordable inventory, boomers, of course, without stairs and without the need to, to deal with physical ailments, uh, millennials and Gen Z, potentially because right now they're the poorest generation that we've seen since the boomers. And yeah. so when you converge on this, this uh, one product, and uh, investors. we see a massive shortage. Yeah, plus and, that, absolutely. Plus the investors are also in that loop. They've gone up as we've discussed in our. They're up ten percent in their in their. So all those three people are fighting for the exact same spot. Or those three avatars, those three groups of people, are fighting for the same space. So that's where the pool is. So how do you like? How do you get out of that? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because uh, because I'm a huge uh, nerd. I spent a significant amount of time a couple weekends ago. Uh, watchings and in researching, uh, Harvard actually has a, a real estate program, and uh, and they they do a significant amount of research and um, and put out reports and data on affordable housing shortages. And uh, you know the the estimate from Harvard is that we're looking at a two and a half million house shortage um, with no actual answer for how to solve this problem, because. Do we solve it by um, building more houses? Well, it takes so much time to ramp up production of Two houses. Two and a half million, then you're ramp. I mean, how much is built up from that? Yeah. So do we do we um, solve it by creating by implementing rent control? Well, that hasn't worked effectively for California. In fact, historically, um, the data around rent control is that it actually doesn't um, benefit. Um, homeowners and renters the way that it, it, it's anticipated that it would. Um, do we do we do this by universal basic income? What is the answer to um, solve the real estate crisis? And the reality is, is that it's such a complex problem um, that is multifaceted because housing is not just a commodity. This is the thing that I wish that everyone fully understood. Um, and you know what, I guess the, the beauty of it is, is that we wouldn't have jobs if everyone fully understood the, uh, the 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 multifaceted complexity of of real estate and housing, and that's because 
uh, real estate is both an asset and a commodity and a social service. It's a social service because it provides shelter. It provides somewhere um, to have security and to feel comfort and to have certainty. And by the same token, it's a commodity because it's made up of um, several commodities and you know combined into one asset. Uh, it makes up the largest storehold of wealth for the middle class. And, and so there, there are all these components that converge that impact real estate prices. And, and the fix is not nearly as simple as what we would think from the outside looking in. And so uh, barring an everything bubble, the value of real estate assets from a single family perspective uh, continues to, to go up uh, and, and is well hedged against the impending market of inflation. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what a lot of people are talking about inflation. I noticed I went to Subway the other day. And it's not a five dollar foot. They don't have that five dollar foot. <laughs> no, it was twenty five dollars for two foot longs. <laughs> so, like, I mean, are, do, we, <laughs> do we have an inflation issue? Do you think that? I mean, what I'm seeing, everything that I'm reading, I read a lot. Uh, I'm reading that everything is short term. It's yeah. uh, meant as a correction because everybody's coming out right now, so the demand is really high. So then that's making prices jump up. Uh, what do you see? I mean, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to go on record and say that um, I was pretty demonstrative um, yeah. and, and convicted of what I thought that things would look like today. Um, and, and I was almost dead wrong on, on everything that, um, that I anticipated. And um, the reason why is because I did not anticipate seeing um, monetary printing and stimulus like what we've seen in the last 14 months, right? Is, you know, there are estimates between 20 and 40% of the total number of dollars ever created are, were, were printed in the last um, 14 months. And so uh, that wasn't part of the um, economic equation that was anticipated for. And so that's the wild card is so long as the government continues to print money, well, by definition, there has to be inflation, and the inflation has to be greater than what um, Jerome Powell is telling us at the at the Federal Reserve of four percent, right? So recently, the Fed came out and said that the 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 quarterly inflation was was you know two times the the preferred rate, um, and yet the reality is is that the printing is exponentially greater than that, and so um, I think it helps to understand what inflation is in order for us to fully like grasp the concept of, of money and of bubbles in general, because, you know, I think that we all have the, at least I know I've been guilty of this is we have this belief around what money is. And it's not until you go down this rabbit hole of really questioning everything that you know, you think you know about money that you start to realize that, you know, almost nothing about really what money actually is. And so um, when I think about, when you think about money or currency in general, um, it really is a, it, you know, it's, it's that promise um, exchange of trust. It's, it's that I'm giving you a dollar and that dollar is worth to me what it is worth to you in exchange for some good or service in exchange, right? And so um, when, when we print more, when we inflate the supply of promises, in theory, the current promise, the number of promises that we have in our bank account becomes worth less by, by pure definition alone, right? right? And 
And so it's foolish to think that we're not experiencing inflation from a supply perspective. So there's supply side inflation, but then there's demand side inflation, right? Like the price of lumber supposedly is supply and demand constrained inflation. So the price of lumber goes, gets inflated due to shortage of supply and an increase in demand. And so we see that price being um, being inflated. And, and then there's um, expense or cost run where um, where a perfect, perfect example of this would be um, if all of a sudden the prices of TVs shot way up or in this case, the price of vehicles has gone way up yeah. because there's a shortage of um, of chips. Right. So there's a there's a shortage. Um, therefore, there's an increased cost to manufacture the vehicle, um, which causes the price to inflate. So, so we have, you know, supply, supply and demand pressure, and then we have cost or expense constraints that drive up or drive down prices. And so we're seeing this huge um, surge of inflation, yet it's not showing up in the numbers. It's only being reported that we saw a 2% increase year over year from the preferred rate inflation-wise. And yet real estate prices tell a totally different story. The stock market tells a totally different story than that. And so the question then is, is um, what is reality? What is true? Like, are we seeing inflation um, or is it actually just slightly increased business as usual? I don't know. I mean, if you if you think about like, look at house pricing, look at what houses have done in the last five years. Right. Yeah. So is that because our dollar is not worth a dollar anymore? Is it not worth 80 cents? So it feels like, yeah, I just paid $300,000 for this house that was, you know, 250 But in all reality, you're paying the same amount. It's just because your dollar's not worth as much. Correct. And so that's the hard part for people to grasp, right? This is the biggest thing that holds real estate agents and, and potentially interested real estate buyers and sellers that holds them back from being able to move forward and, and either be successful if they're a real estate agent on how to advise their clients or be successful if they're um, an aspiring real estate investor is. And, and it's the concept of historical based pricing or historical based monetary equivalent. Um, you've used the example so many times, Michael, that says, you know, if, in, if, I, if you could go back in 1990 and buy Apple stock for $10, <laughs> you would be an idiot not to do that, right? right? And and yet the reality is is that Apple stock is not $10 anymore. Clinging to the idea that you can buy Apple stock for $10 or that it should be worth $10 because one day it was doesn't serve you. <laughs> right. It does not serve you and yet we see people do this over and over and over with real estate. And so I, what I want to challenge people on is to understand that money is and wealth is a measure of comparison. Because if if it's not a measure of comparison, why is it that we we don't feel like in the middle or upper middle class that you were getting ahead? Because the reality is for the last 100 years, the upper middle class is way more wealthy in comparison to someone in the 1900s. Yet when compared to the billionaires or the the upper 1% of the 1%, a gap is actually widening significantly. Right. 
It's because we don't think about money in a comparison standpoint or wealth from a comparison standpoint. We think about wealth from a security standpoint. And it's when we think about it from that security perspective that it holds us back from investing in real estate. And that's because in order to invest in real estate, we have to understand that prices are comparative market value, yeah. not historical market value. That's what an appraiser does. And in this market, appraisers serve uh, little to no purpose. Right. And they I mean that with paid. love, appraisers. Yeah. <laughs> <There's>... well, <laughs> yeah, because the prices are going up so high, they're looking back when prices are going up. So they're yeah. actually acting as anchors, like to, to kind of like limiting the, the growth. And you know what? And, and some, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Is a market sometimes needs that governor system, right? It needs, um, it, just like your, your Viper probably had a governor or you probably had it removed, Mike. Um, there needs to be for safety of, of everyone else on the road, that governor in place. And so that's how the appraiser really acts. And especially in today's market, the appraised value is not fair market value. The appraised market, the appraisal value right now is governed market yeah. value from a from a inflation constraint, which is a, which is a healthy thing for the actual market itself. It's tough, however, for buyers and sellers to understand, and for a lot of real estate agents as well. Absolutely, I th I think just getting being and so. When you get that, when you have that guy that says, look, I'm just going to wait until this market shifts and where the houses are too high. What do you say, say to that person? Yeah, I, I love that. So let's like let's think about this from a practical standpoint when we think about, OK, so we know that inflation is, you know, the the inflating of currency or the inflationary supply or you know rapidly increasing prices. Um, that's great. Thanks. Knowledge without implementation is worthless, right? And so if I'm a listener, um, what, or if I'm a real estate agent or if I'm a consumer, what do I do? How do I actually get ahead in this comparative wealth race? Well, you know, to me, I, I think about it like the sense of um, we're on a boat and, and maybe the boat is the Titanic, right? And the Titanic is supposed to be unsinkable. And, and so we're in the, we're in the Titanic and, um, and all of a sudden we get a hole in our boat or we get multiple holes in the boat. And what we know is that sooner or later, we're going to start taking on water. And so, oh shit, now what? Right. We have a choice to make. Are we going to try to bail the water out of the boat while we're, while we're cruising and, and, you know, increase the speed that we're, that we're uh, driving while we're bailing water or, are we going to try to get to land as quickly as possible, get the boat lifted and get the get the holes patched and repaired? Are we going to stand still and take on water and actually just sink faster? You know, we we have to figure out what's our strategy to to get ahead and get to safety. Well, in in this case inflation is the same way. It's like you are the boat, you are the Titanic and and with inflation you'll start taking on water and sinking if you do nothing. And that's because if you stay in cash, your cash becomes worth less in comparison to market value or into consumer prices. And so doing nothing or remaining in a cash position, um, hoping that the market will either stay the same or go down, is like doing nothing while you're taking on water um, in the Titanic.
And so I argue that what you really should be doing is just trying to get um, to land as quickly as possible and start patching your, your boat in order to be fully prepared to, to, to drive as quickly as possible ahead of the danger. And so in order to do that, what, what I think you do is you go and you buy assets. You buy things that are hedged against inflation that operate from a comparative market value perspective. So things like diamonds or, or, or metals, right, where there's a scarcity of supply and a comparative value. Um, things like um, playing cards, oddly enough. There's collectibles, right? There's real estate assets. There's, um, there's waterfront property. There's, um, you know, there's property on golf courses. Anything that has a scarcity of supply and an increase in comparative value that you can take out debt against in a safe, smart, manageable way that you can take out debt against is a significant hedge against inflation to patch your boat and, and stop taking on water. And when you, when you patch up the boat by having a strategy for um, hedging against inflation and then you execute, you get further ahead yeah. from a wealth perspective. It pushes you forward. That's it right. Does. And the reason to be further ahead is not so you can you can subtle flex, but it's actually so you have more security, more mental freedom, more peace of mind. Right. And so what we're all actually seeking is that freedom. We're all seeking the ability to do what we want, when we want, with whoever we want. And oftentimes the tool to do that is money. It, not that that should be what it is. We could, that's a whole nother philosophical debate. However, in this country, the currency of freedom oftentimes is money. Yeah. So the way to do that is by hedging against inflation with assets. And what a better way to do that than real estate. But if it's not real estate, go buy the 54% decline in, in Bitcoin yesterday. Don't paper hand it like a Nancy. Go, go buy the dip on something that has long-term scarcity of value. Maybe that's the S&P 500 index. You know, because 50 years from now or 30 years from now, I, I'm willing to bet on the value of American companies being greater than it is today. S&P 500 is probably not a bad um, investment then, yeah. especially if you uh, have the ability to to get into that. The beauty of real estate, though, is, is <coughs> you don't even have to have the money. You just yeah. have to have the money for the down payment. Yeah, and credit. And credit. That's right. That's it. And and then you're leveraging future money. You're leveraging yeah. like you're not even like using you're not you're not even using the money you have yet. Yeah. And so everybody that I find that has money, uh, what they did like with the last recession when we had a recession, was when everybody was telling you to buy, or when everybody was telling you to sell, they were buying. Yeah. And, and you know what? When the recession hit, they bought pro they bought properties. They come out. They bought the dip. They bought the dip. And when they tell you to sell, that's when they're buying. And when they yeah. buy, that's when they're selling. So that's typically what I what I see historically. So I think you buy through this. I've had people, they were I was tell a couple years ago, we were telling them, you know, hey, you know, you're you're buying you're paying too high a couple years ago. Now oh, they look yeah. like geniuses, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. you were telling us about your buyer who's every year, you know, looked and said, oh, prices are too high or I'll, I'll wait till next year till they come down. I'll wait till. And the reality is, is that 
you know, the, the treadmill of life has already, you know, the moving walkway has already gotten so far down the street that now you have to run to catch up. Yeah. And just think of the blessing. Like she, like, I know the person, the person in my literally, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this. So that the people didn't know if they have, yeah, this will be a good reason for you guys to go check out our last or some of our other podcasts. I just told a story about a client that I met with five years ago. I was going to build her a five bedroom house and she had a certain budget. And now every year she calls me and that bedroom is going down from a new house to now she's in like a three bedroom. And now I don't even know if I could within her budget, yeah. if I could even find her something. So that stand still the ability, like the inability to move forward, even though when people are telling you, look, this is what's happening. That's really getting people. So what are, what are, so, you know, that's a, is kind of a great question or philosophical thing that maybe if there's a listener who's struggling to get off the fence, what are they scared of? Because I, you know, I think that, I think that fear is what's gripping the person from moving forward. Right. And it's that fear of overpaying or that fear, you know, and I notice myself even make this foolish mistake, right? Like, you know, I, Bitcoin, was $63,000 a few weeks ago and it fell to $30,000. And then it was, you know, um, it's been, I think today the high was 42,000, right? And so it was a few weeks ago where um, I would have loved to have the opportunity to buy a 40,000 or a $36,000 Bitcoin. And yet my, and yet my, my mind still says, well, I don't know. I'm not convinced that the bottom is in yet. I think we might actually still go down. So I'm going to sit here on the sidelines and wait to buy the next dip, maybe a little further down before I get in. And so I know that fear is what holds the the listener back who's not pulling the trigger on buying real estate right now. Or I know it's what holds the the idiot podcast guy back from not buying the dip yesterday even more um, than I did. What do you think holds someone back from from buying real estate right now? Lack of clarity. Okay. So they don't have like they don't have the benefit of seeing how the skyrocket of real estate over time. It's really easy for me because I've because we've living it, right? So when yeah. people they just plug in, that's their one blip. That's their one moment in time that they've seen this. So you got to go back. I, I told this story about a, a gentleman. Uh, I was, You always have the guy where I have a client that's looking to buy a home. Sorry, I have a client that's looking to you buy a, a home. You're popular, man. No, I got a listing. <laughs> I got a listing, and you know, I try to turn off show. I try not to. I try actually to have people not call me at all. <laughs> that's, that's my goal. I'm sorry. I had no, a listing, and I got showings, and showing time keeps calling me. But anyway, I had a client. So we're out looking at homes. He brings his buddy. Y'all know the buddy. This, the oh, expert yeah, there that's go. bought a house before, yeah. right? Yeah, so or, he bought, or the parents. Yeah, <laughs> Or the parent. Yeah. Dad, and so he's another worse than a dad on a real estate showing. He's poo-pooing everything yeah. that we show. And he's like, well, I bought, I paid X for my house X amount mm-hmm. of years ago. I said, sir, yeah. why don't we do this? You sell your house for that amount to your buddy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I can get that. I said, exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. So, like, 
we have to understand that we're moving forward from that perspective, yeah. but that's a comparative. That's exactly what's going on. So you have to fight to get clarity. When I said that to him, I said, that's exactly what we're battling here. Everybody can get more for their house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, like what's in the, the nugget that I take out of that is like, we can, we can teach and consult and lead from a knowledge perspective all day long, right? Like I could give you data point after data point after data point, number after number after number as to why it makes sense right now. And yet the reality is if there's no emotional compelment to tie the loop and to make it actually make sense, no one moves forward. Yeah. It wasn't until you made a really emotional, clear uh, connection for the guy as to why the market dynamics is not historical the way it was when he bought that he finally understood that the comparative market has moved. Yeah. And so, you know, the thing that the thing that I I've had some luck with with people especially during COVID when people were really concerned about about what happens to um if what you know, we had we had about um 60 or so transactions pending at the time that we went into the the forced stay at home. And um and then and we kept, oddly enough all of them closed. So of the 60 plus transactions we had, 100% of them bought or or sold. And um, I thought that was a miracle because, you know, there were a lot of people worried, myself included, as to what the future was going to look like, um, given that we had never been in that stay at home, um, you know, executive order position where, yeah, we think we're going to stay at home for two weeks, but we don't know if we'll all lose jobs or we'll all, um, you know, have incomes stripped or or there's the health component of it all. There's so many things that are unknown at that time. And what I kept driving customers back to, which was, you know, let's say everything does go to hell. Let's say that the that everything goes fully nuclear and that you're out of work and your ability to earn an income is totally wiped out for the foreseeable midterm future. You think you're better off as a tenant or as a homeowner? Which one would you rather be without any ability to pay your bills as a tenant or as a homeowner? You know, yeah, and what we I, yeah, what we know is it absolutely. takes forever to be foreclosed yeah. on. Yeah. And so if you're afraid of not being able to pay the bill, not a good thing to do at a, at a macro level to go out and take on more house than you should because it's a terrible strategy. However, if it's apples to apples from a monthly cost perspective, you are far more secure in home ownership than you are on the tenant side of things because as soon as the 10th rolls around and your money's not in the mailbox, guess who's getting a letter for eviction? Right. The mortgage company doesn't do that. Yeah. It might take you 10 months or three yeah. years or yeah. longer before yeah. you get that same exact letter yeah. to vacate. Yeah. And these banks aren't trying to, they're not trying to get in the real estate business. So like, no. um, and that's another thing that I'm hearing from other real estate agents, as far as like the bubble pop, they keep t- talking about um, uh, foreclosures. And I keep telling them, if you guys are waiting on foreclosures, yeah, um, it's going to be a long, you got a long time you're going to wait because um, that's just not happening. We're not seeing a spike uh, in foreclosures at all. Yeah. You know, one thing that one thing that like is interesting, though, Mike, you know, is that what we we have we are starting to see prices in general of consumer of consumer prices start to increase. Right. Fuel is up. 
um, 49%. Um, real estate, of course, up almost uh, some in some markets as much as 20%. Uh, and we're seeing prices increase. And so um, where we may start to actually see some of this come into play and impact um, are markets where, where um, convention, tourisms, hospitality, restaurants, if there, if there are um, areas where uh, the biggest source of income is travel and then leisure and, and, um, and tourism, it would make sense that we would see those markets hit hard because that's been the most contracted market. And yet the reality is, is that um, Florida has never been better or at least in the last 15 years. And so we found that, that the market has adapted to whatever the market conditions are, and we've all made the best of the reality and then, and then move forward to, to, to adapt. And that's the takeaway for me in today's market is, is like the ability for, um, for all of us to adapt and to overcome into what the new market is in order to get ahead in the comparative game has, has exponentially improved. Like that to me is a takeaway. When you think about where you are financially as a listener and where you want to go and how you want that financial security and you want the freedom to be able to, to do what you want with whomever you want, whenever you want, the way to do that is to adapt. And the time to adapt is now. Yeah. If you're not already taking action, take action now. Yeah. You're, otherwise, you'll stand still and take on water. Yeah. You don't have get to get ahead. it right. You yeah, that's ahead. right. That's right. I didn't get it. I didn't get it right the first time that I went out and bought real estate as an investment. It took me three years to sell the property. I learned. I got an incredible tuition out of that, <laughs> and and that launched a real and that launched a real estate career. I lost a lot of money yesterday in cryptocurrency. You know what I didn't lose? Education. Mm -hmm. I didn't lose the experience of going through that and now knowing that the the next time that happens. When there's a when there's a 30 to 50 percent collapse in in value, I know how I'll handle it because I've now been through that uh, multiple times. And so you can pull uh, from that experience. That's right. That's right. So go take action. Take action to get ahead of the inflation, whether it's four percent in air quotes or 40 yeah, percent. Go take action and and take it by going um, by acquiring assets. Because in a market of inflation, assets with low interest rates that, that are leverageable come out way ahead. Yeah. We're saying that from a non-tax perspective. So yeah. I want to give I want to give that caveat non-expert. Correct. Correct. I would never <laughs> that's right. Thank you, Mike. Because I would not give um, investment advice because I'm not qualified to give investment advice. Thank you. So um, so I certainly would not give investment advice. Thank you. So not investment advice, do whatever you want to do. But if you want to know what I'm doing, uh, that's the playbook. <laughs>